When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to another episode of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. This is episode 37, and I am your host, Rick Verbanis. And as always, I am joined by the best gosh darn co-host out there, Mr. Bob Lucius. Bob? Hi. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that, Rick. <laughs> well, Bob, if you if you were Swiss, you would know that was the informal way of saying hello. Well, that's good to know. Uh, yeah. Wow. My focus has been on Asian languages, but uh, but I do like chocolate. So uh, that's going to I'm going to put that one. And put a pin in it and use that at a future time. Hi. <laughs> that's how that's how Google tells me to pronounce it. All right. Thank so God for Google. I I I <laughs> I'm very uh apologetic to any of our Swiss <laughs> listeners out there. Any, if I am, if, yeah. Any I'm of our Swiss listeners. That. <laughs> but um, but uh, you so what well, you why please, I, whatever. If if you're out there and you're upset, I I, I beg of you, stay neutral. that was good that was good uh all right uh and if you're if anybody's like um so why are you talking swiss well that's because we're gonna have a character uh in this particular episode that we're covering that is from swiss so i figured what better way to say hello to bob Man, what a segue. You know, that's the way that all the parts just fit together in this show. It's it's uncanny. <laughs> no, the X-Men are a totally different podcast, <laughs> Bob. You, you need to listen elsewhere on that one. I, I, I run out of time. All I got is in his cap. All right. So what are we covering today? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, we're going to be covering Captain America number 208. From volume one and that is uh going to be the first appearance of arnim zola i love arnim no you, you love doughboy that that is on record well i do love doughboy but you know, we wouldn't have doughboy if not for uh for the good doctor yes and we're going to get the introduction of doughboy and primus uh so we'll get into those as well um I guess uh, before we get started, is there uh, is uh, anything uh, going on on the Facebook page that we need to talk about? <laughs> There's always something going on on the Facebook page, right? We are. Always. I got to tell you, we're we're up to I don't know, thirty seven, thirty eight hundred, probably like thirty eight hundred members. I think right now, um, the uh, you know it's it does the heart good. Cap Cap's cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, and every now and again, you know, some, every now and again, somebody posts the question, like, why do you like cap? And, uh, and I love seeing those answers because there's yeah. so many different answers and responses and uh, man, just the diversity of thought around like, oh, this is why I like, cap. I just love those posts and those uh, questions. I do too. And, and, uh, and Bob, I'm very impressed by your honesty in your answer to those questions when you respond, it's the wings on the side of the head. Yeah, it's, it, well, it's a toss up, as you know, between the wings and the, and the boots. Yes, the, the, the buccaneer boots. Yeah. 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 I wish I had slippers like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, if you haven't checked out the Captain America comic book fans Facebook group, uh, you should because um, there are plenty of posts there. It's a very active group. I mean, we get... Man, uh, the the moderators were were all just a proven post left and right, uh, and it's uh, it's it's fun to see all the different uh, ideas coming in. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I was just actually I was thinking to myself, you know, we're at, we're due time for another mini contest of some sort, and I've got something in mind. Yeah, uh, and I got I got the wheels got to turn a little bit more tonight, you know. And uh, but I've got something in mind. I've got uh, I think I have the right gift, surprise Ooh. gift for the winner in mind. But I I got to put all the pieces together tonight. Okay. So uh, I will check the uh, the coffers and see uh, what we can afford to do. Uh, we uh, as I mentioned in the last couple of podcasts, I think we're up to four. Spot, uh, for uh, contrib- monthly contributors now, and uh, we we love you guys. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, and uh, so we'll, we'll check the we'll check the coffers and see if there's something there that we can uh, put together for a nice prize. Like a pack of Tic Tacs or something. <laughs> I wouldn't. Be, we couldn't afford the mailing. <laughs> it's 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 pickup only. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> hey well listen if you want to go to florida to see uh to see bob you know pick up your tic tacs yeah, yeah come on down yeah we'll make them red white and blue tic tacs there you go there you go all right all right so um you know before we get into issue 208 um so this is this is taking place in the uh, early 1977 and you know what's uh cool about this is uh the co-creator of Captain America, Mr. Jack Kirby, the King, uh, and the winner of our Captain America comic book fans, uh, um, favorite artist contest. Um, uh, he came back in, uh, 1976 to, uh, to his co-creation to, uh, be the, not only the artist for the Captain America series, but also the writer. And so, um, uh, you know, I got to tell you, um, it's it's kind of fun reading these stories, uh, knowing that Jack, uh, you know, came up with everything, you know, the plot, the story, the script, the pencils. Um, it's 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 a really cool uh, just, I don't know, trip down, trip down memory lane. It is. And it's, you know, it's, not, it's distinctive in many ways. Obviously, you know, the king's art is distinctive in its own right. Uh often imitated but never reproduced in exactly the same way but the writing too right uh some of the dialogue you know 
you could tell some of the dialogue comes from another age. Yes, uh, it does. right. A little it, corny. Yeah, a little corny. corny, you know, but uh, but it's got you know a little, little pep, so it does take you back um, to a different time. All right, so we're going to cover issues two hundred eight through two ten, and um, so it's kind of the middle of a story that Jack's doing here. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go. I'm going to give a synopsis for issues two hundred six and two hundred seven, so to get the read. The, the listeners, I should say, uh, up to speed on what's going on. Because in issue 206, um, it introduced this uh, a character by the name of Donna Maria. And to some uh, certain uh, guys of a certain age, um, they may look back on that and go, ooh, Donna Maria, uh, and with, uh, with a lot of fondness. Um, so, all right, let me uh, give the synopsis here. And this, I'm, by the way, I'm reading this from uh, the uh, Marvel fandom page, uh, the Marvel database. Um, they do a, a real good job of, of giving all the details on uh, all the Marvel comics. Uh, and I go here a lot to get some information, especially when I'm posting my daily flashbacks on the Facebook page. Layla recovers from the night people's brainwashing. In Central America, the sadistic Rio de Muerta prison commandant known as the Swine invites a starving prisoner to eat from a feast-laden table. Meanwhile, Steve, Sam, Sharon, and Layla dine out. Two swine agents molest their waiter, Felix, a Rio de Muerte escapee, planning to take him back. Sam intervenes. When Steve steps in to help, Felix escapes. At Rio de Muerte, the swine forces the prisoners to the prisoner to eat until he dies. As the swine surveys his prison, the brutalized inmates fantasize about killing him. In New York, Steve escorts Sharon home. The swine's agents follow, knowing they need a prisoner to replace Felix. As Sharon and Steve argue over his continued cap activities, the agents gas them into unconsciousness and snatch Steve. After ordering a broken-down prisoner to push a piece of fruit 10 miles a day with his nose, the swine confronts his cousin, Donna Maria, who sunbathes within sight of the guards and inmates. Not intimidated by her cousin, Donna Maria tells him she awaits the day a real man will come and break him as he has broken others. There's some foreshadowing, huh? Yeah. All right. Let's get to the synopsis for 207. Steve awakens in a plane flying over Rio de Muerte. He breaks free and battles his kidnappers, but the pilot is killed during the melee and the plane crashes in the jungle. Steve emerges from the wreckage and becomes Captain America, only wanting to find a way home. In New York, Sam and Layla find Sharon recovering from the tranquilizer gas in her apartment. Sam fears Cap has been kidnapped. In the jungle, prison guards find Cap, but he dispenses them with and finds himself confronting the swine. Meanwhile, after taking Sharon to the hospital, Sam and Layla check in with S.H.I.E.L.D. The swine shoots at Cap, who deflects the bullet with his shield and hangs the swine up in a tree. Falcon flies along the coastline, searching for Cap, who wanders through the jungle until stumbling on a prison work detail. Seeking food, Cap attacks and defeats the guards, discovering that the inmates 
are so spiritless they are in an almost zombie state. At the prison, the swine tortures the prisoners who spoke of his humiliation at Cap's hands. Donna Marie revels in Cap's successes, telling her cousin, I hope he breaks you, swine. She's pushing her luck with this guy. You know, if she wasn't a cousin, I don't think she'd get away with this, Rick. Yeah. Probably if she didn't look the way she did either. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, it, yeah, yeah, nicely said. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. All right, so let's get to issue 2-8. Now, 2-8, why did we want to cover 2-8? Well, because 2-8 is the first appearance of Artem Zola. And we thought that was, uh, uh, you know, he's a character that a lot of people um, don't know much about, right? I mean, they've seen him in the movies. Um, and But uh, in the comics, um, I guess if you read Volume 7, which was written by uh, Rick Remender and art by John Remeda Jr. and Scott Hanna, um, then you probably, you know, it was a really interesting story um, that was very different um, from what we had experienced in the volumes before by Ed Brubaker. And I think they actually had to be different, you know, because, you know, it's hard to follow that and and do something similar. Um, And so there was, uh, you know, Zola's uh, interdimensional world type of thing that Cap went into for decades. Um, So, but so, you know, who knows the origin of Zola? And we talked about Zola uh, when we did the um, introduction, uh, uh, well, the return of Baron Zemo, Helmet Zemo. Uh, and, and it wasn't Zola. It ended up being Primus. And um, who's Primus? Well, guess what? We're going to learn more about that uh, today. So I'm looking at the cover of Captain America 208. And uh, it's 30 cents, by the way. And we've got the Jack Kirby uh, logo uh, of Cap on one side and the Falcon on the other. And it is, by the way, Captain America and the Falcon, uh, as it has been for quite some time. So that is the title to the story. Um, and there's a uh, this red creature coming out of a river. And it's um, it's quite interesting. Um, uh, it's like almost like a from the back, like an armadillo type creature. And then you see in the in the jungle side, uh, Cap uh, looking, preparing to fight. And then um, you've got, uh, what's her name? Do- Donna Marie. Donna Maria. With a stick. Yes. Eh, more of a club. All right? right. Fair enough. Yeah. And she's breaking it on him. Right. It's, it's very long and it's breaking off of his head. And then you have a mysterious man standing in the river with his head down and his arms up as he's almost like summoning this creature. And I find that interesting because that, you, I guess you're, you're led to believe that's the, the master of the creature, the, maybe the creator of the creature, uh, which we all know is Artem Zola. So um, interesting choice. It's almost like Jack Kirby drew the cover first, and then he came up with the story and, and drew Artem Zola a different way. So it's, it's, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point, Rick. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I assumed it was one of the one of the swines men, but but you're right. The the look is different um, than you would expect because uh, this this guy. Of course, the coloring. You never know what the coloring, but but this gentleman, and I use that term loosely. His hair is red. 
Uh, whereas yep. I think all the swine are, you know, this is supposed to be some South American country and they're all, all uh, dark haired. Right. Uh, and the, the starburst says, beginning a startling new concept, a stunning new adventure. And it's called River of Death. That's the name of the story. Uh, which is, by the way, we kept referring to uh, Rio de Muerte. Uh, that's, you know, for those who don't know Spanish, that's River of Death. Not only is the show entertaining, but it's educational. See, hi. <laughs> we're multi, we're multilingual here. All right. So it's uh, edited, written, and drawn by Jack Kirby, inked by Frank Giacoya, colored by Rossos, lettered by Jim Novak, and it says admired by Archie God Goodwin. So I guess a, uh, Archie Goodwin, who's typically going to be editor, uh, he's just standing back and letting Jack do his thing. <laughs> Taking a break. Yeah. yeah. Um, what began as a nightmarish abduction to a prison fortress in the uncharted wilds of Central America suddenly changes from a sinister incident into a far-out saga of overwhelming terror. It begins here, on a shore of the Rio de Muerte, the River of Death. So Cap is uh, on the riverbanks, and he's got he's thinking to himself, "I'll follow the course of the Jungle River. There must be a town somewhere along its banks." And then in this big splash page, we see that that red armadillo type creature uh, with its head and claws sticking out of the water. The murky water of Rio de Muerte is deep and silent and gives no warning of the terrible denizen that inspires its name. But he is ever there, waiting and listening for prey to come within his grasp. Like his teeth, his senses are razor sharp. Like his steel sinews, his attack is a powerful, bone-crushing, inescapable trap. When Cap draws near, he leaps from cover. And it's uh, this really cool double-page splash. Um... And, and, and this big creature comes from behind Cap, grabs his right arm and, and claws at him. And um, Cap, you know, winces and says, what? Ugh, I, I've been hit by a living bulldozer. This thing from the river gives no pause for recovery. Its body courses with a primitive fury, which blazes until the victim expires. And there's a big roar and a crack as he throws Cap Cap struggles like a madman to free himself. He catches horrifying glimpses of his attacker and forces his strength to its limits. Good God, what is it? What is it? A thousand death encounters have not prepared Cap for this. His knees buckle under the crushing weight of the creature. He is thrown to the jungle floor. Rawr! And he is. I mean, Cap's getting his butt kicked here. Suddenly, voices sound in the nearby brush. Uniformed guards burst into view and open fire. By the way, Bob, the first time I read this, I was like, uninformed guards <laughs> burst into <laughs> I know, huh? That's like your brain goes there, right? Yeah. You're like, you really need to be better informed. Yes. Yeah. Who is this? I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. <laughs> the guards start yelling at each other. Um, it's the manfish. He's got a quarry. He won't have him for long. And he starts firing at the uh, 
at the creature. A, den, a deadly fusillade is hurled at the startled monster. He halts his savage work to roar at the intruders. Bullets can't penetrate that armored skin, but the sound of gunfire disturbs him. Unable to cope with the storm of bullets, the monster emits a final roar and returns to the dark depths, which close above him and shield him from the explosive chaos as he dives into the, the water. The battle on the river shore ends abruptly as the guards advance on the real object of their search. The manfish is gone. We could stake our claim to his victim. Fortune is with us. This will be an easy capture. Ha ha ha. So the tiger has been weakened by the struggle. Seize him. And four uh, uniformed guards uh, jump on top of Cap. He offers no resistance. One rarely does after meeting the manfish. Cap is lifted to his feet and propped up against a tree with all these guns pointed at him. Speak, tiger. Have you no words of thanks for your rescuers? Yeah, blow it out your mustache. Those are hardly words of gratitude. And those are hardly words of Captain America. <laughs> That's one of those dialogue lines I was thinking of. <laughs> Me too. Blow it out your mustache? Oh, boy. Many prison escapees have come this way and perished. You were the first to keep your skin attacked. No, you will. Know you know why this inviting body of water is called the River of Death. The manfish guards it well. Escape is impossible, tiger. We're taking you to our commandant. He will treat you as did the manfish, but your death will be slower. Meanwhile, at a S.H.I.E.L.D. regional office in the USA. Well, break this mystery, chief. Nobody can abduct a superhero like Cap without leaving a clue. May I remind you that someone did just that? Now, what else is new? There's an army of field agents on the case, Chief. We're literally combing the globe for leads to Cap's disappearance. Even NASA's in on their search. Their satellite cameras are checking out anything that moves on land, sea, or air. And you expect me to relay this ambiguous tripe to Nick Fury? He'll hang me from the rafters. Push harder, blast it. I want Captain America to show up, and real soon. Is that clear? This vanishing act is the puzzler of the century, Chief. We're using every available man, and many who can't be spared. That brings me to the latest subject at hand. I've had to make a new entry in this top-secret file. Do you know why? I don't have to guess. The discovery was made by agents in my command. You mean they found another freak? And he pulls out file... 116. It was a digger this time, a man-like termite, as large as a horse. File 116 is growing larger, gentlemen. We know, Chief. Knowing isn't acting. We need old hands like Captain on this thing. We need the Falcon to stop this spread of monsters. Now we can't even find him. At that moment, Layla walks into the office. That's just fine, shield man. That last remark sure makes my day. Layla, for heaven's sakes, girl, you know better than to break in like this. After all, this is a shield office. We discuss problems here of international importance. You've got to use discretion, and you're discussing my problem, mister. Two missing superheroes. What's more, I find your shock, Sherlock's very poor comfort. Layla, listen. Where are they? Where is Cap? Where is the Falcon? I'm certain that the Falcon's okay. 
He's out with the rest of us, looking for Cap. Yeah, looking and perhaps finding the same hole that swallowed his best friend. My thoughts have been a series of nightmares since this thing began. I see monsters everywhere, reaching hungrily for Sam and Cap. Hear that? Do you think she knows? No, this girl is merely strung out. Monsters. Now we, we cut to another uh, panel here, and there's the falcon in, in a night sky uh, flying through uh, mountaintops. Monsters. Fearsome visions and hearts filled with uncertainty and doubt. Somewhere in a vast sky above massed mountains peaks, the falcon continues his search. I realize that I may be a continent off my mark, but the effort to find Cap must be made. If relying on sheer luck is a foolish gamble, then I'm a fool. But what would Cap think if I sat with arms folded, waiting at shield for news to trickle in? This inland area seems more promising than the seacoast. It's fairly rugged and isolated. Could be a likely spot to... What's that below? The falcon makes a steep and hazardous dive among the jutting rock faces to investigate a unique formation of timber. And it is. It's um, it's almost like this big nest made out of logs. Not sticks, but logs. It looks like a giant nest, but a nest for what? Now we cut back to where Cap was. Although parted by immense distances, the Falcon and Cap were about to share a singularly frightening experience. And Cap, in very Kirby-esque fashion, uh, kicks out with both legs uh, to his, um, his, the, uh, the guards. I've had my fill of your small talk. Stop him, you idiots, and they're firing at him. But he's kicking them all away. Cap's recovered from his trying ordeal with the manfish. Among human enemies, he is once more the conqueror of pressing odds. Sorry to spoil your fun, clown. Mass demon, you've shattered my weapon, and Cap knocks the gun with his shield. His captors are confounded by Cap's ability to avoid containment. One by one, they fall victim to his mercurial form of combat. The fiend is escaping! Ah! You're standing in an accident zone, fella. And, and Cap uses, as he's running away, he steps on a, a log that snaps in just the right angle to hit the, uh, the guy about to shoot him in the face. Neither shout nor shot can halt the, the flashing phantom as he races for freedom. Cap rattly distances, outdistances his pursuers. We can't hit him. He's an impossible target. This takes years of experience, men, in a mess of tight spots. Suddenly, a menacing cylindrical object is hurled directly in his path. What? Dynamite! And it's a lit dynamite stick. And there's an explosion as Cap's leaping. Cap narrowly escapes the blast when another erupts at his side. And this one's even bigger and blows up some boulders next to him. And there's these big sound effects like wham and thoom. Place the explosives as directed. Drive them toward the pit. And another one. Zom! To escape the diamond explosions, Cap is forced to run in one direction until, and he does, he falls through sticks into a pit. The ground's giving way. I'm pulling through. We've got him. He's trapped in the pit. Now I know how the tiger feels when he's headed, herded into an ambush for the hunter's kill. There's a long moment of silence. Then, 
a man's shadow is cast across the wall of the pit. You took your time getting here, Commandant. Guess you feel safe with all that dynamite on your side? Hector Santiago, small-time prison official and brutalizer of men. Small wonder they call you the swine. And he's looking up from the bottom of the pit while the Commandant's standing there looking down. It's all true, Tiger. But a foul name is a small price to pay when such entertainment abounds in the jungle. To be frank, Tiger, I look forward to these little hunts. Why is he calling him Tiger? I mean, is, is he, you know? <laughs> what is he, MJ? I know, right? <laughs> Face it, Tiger. You've hit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is this one to live, sir? Yes, he shall live. But this day shall always burn in his memory. Hand me the flamethrower. This is where Donna Maria comes in, in her scantily clad uh, costume. It's hot in the jungle, man. Oh, that's true. Yes. Function. Yeah. <laughs> Hector, no, no. Is it not wiser to kill this tiger now, sir? As he hands him the, uh, the uh, flamethrower. Perhaps... But since my dear cousin Donna Maria has joined us in this hope of seeing me humbled by this masked one, I shall insist that she witnesses the end of her dream. And she grabs a dagger from a holster. You sadistic swine, drop that flamethrower. And she throws the dagger at his his hand, which makes him drop the the flamethrower. What? That display of temper shall cost you dearly, cousin. And he grabs her throat. This is the last time that you and I shall dispute my ways. I'm going to rid myself of your clacking tongue forever. Do your worst, cousin, but don't expect me to beg for mercy. How brave you are, Donna Maria. Why, you're as brave as this tiger you so admire. It would be only fitting that you share the same fate. Don't you agree, my dear? And he tosses her down into the pit. Of course you do. Join him then. And Cap. As the girl plummets into the pit, Cap moves to break her fall and catches her. Easy, miss. I've got you. Ha ha ha. This final scene is perfect. Perfect. Ha ha ha. In the warped mind of the swine, there is no sense of evil in this deed. He knows only triumph and a need for haste. You know, I gotta say, that is a little poignant right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's right? some, the, the, he's, uh, Kirby is uh, his plumbing the psychological depths of this character. Right? He's a sociopath. Yeah, because you, you, he he is describing a sociopath, right? right? Someone who doesn't understand evil. It's only about winning. Yeah, that's yeah. the enjoyment. So. You two make a pretty picture indeed, but it calls for a finishing touch the touch of an artist who appreciates little dramas of this kind. You're running off at the mouth, Santiago. There's still time for a few touches of my own. Wrong, Tiger. Your time is at hand. This flame burns hot and bright and is controlled by the hand of a skilled master. If I were you, Tiger, I would pray at this moment or perhaps fumble for the proper words to appease my anger. But... As Donna Maria can tell you, there is nothing you can do that will stop what is about to happen. Suddenly, the jungle erupts with the loud crack of gunfire and the sound of startled men. And there's bam, bam. Look, the manfish, 
He's coming out of the river. He's attacking. Shoot, shoot. And the swine looks scared. Hector Santiago remains speechless. At this sudden turn of fate, he watches, almost mesmerized, as his men fall, as scaly death wheels in his direction. In the sca- and, and you see the red claw coming at his face. No, no! Death is swift and savage. It roars like a beast and snatches Santiago off his feet. His glowing, twisted vision of triumph vanishes in a scream of fright. And we just see his boots and the flamethrower dropped in a scream. Meanwhile, in the pit below, help, help, ah! It seems like the, the swines run into something nastier than himself. It's the manfish. It will come for us too. We've got to get out of here. Don't worry, I planned on that. And he's taking, Cap's taking the, uh, the broken uh, sticks at the bottom. He's putting them into the side. So you were hammering pegs into this wall all this time? You are a clever one, Tiger. Now, that's an MJ right there, yeah, right? Right there, yeah. Especially with her little... Uh, how would you describe the, what she's wearing, Bob? Um, it's better left to the imagination, right? No, 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 Bob. <laughs> I think our listeners like it when you describe the, uh, the scantily well, clad I, you know, I, you know, I... Uh, let's just say Kirby had an eye for uh, rather booksome. Is that the right booksome, booksome, booksome okay. ladies? And um, mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's not a lot of fabric there, so mm-hmm. you know he clearly recognizes the what the climate is in, in this particular country and how hot it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's is he's, it hot, Bob? It's it's hot. It's really, it's hot, really right? hot. And he's and he's providing just enough cover to uh, you know to make this uh, readable by children. <laughs> uh and, yep. men, and older men. Yes. Older married men. <laughs> so Cap says to her, my friends call me Cap, miss. I won't forget that you tried to save my life. So he peeks his head up out of the pit. A strange silence pervades the jungle when Cap reaches the rim of the pit. He looks for signs of danger, but sees none. It's safe to come up, Donna Maria, but make it fast. This option may run out any second. I am on my way. Make it as little noise as possible. If that manfish is still in the vicinity, he'll be listening. This place, it's, it's in shambles. There's been a terrible struggle. And we do. We, we, we see the struggle. Yes, short but terrible. If those are Hector Santiago's boots, the other half of them is in the river. He was a sick and tormented mind, which was, has finally found peace. And then we see all the men that are laid strewn about in tatters. Cap and the girl make a futile search for survivors of the attack. This time, the manfish's bestial work has been thorough. That thing is a murder machine. They didn't have a chance. There's nothing we can do here. Let's leave, Cap, while we can. At that instant, coming in between the two of them, is the manfish. Cap, look out! It's the manfish! Run, Donna Maria. I'll handle him. And he throws his shield right at the hide. But Cap's shield hurdles at the beast like a flashing meteor. That didn't even ruffle his scales. It only made him angrier. And the, the, uh, the manfish leaps at him. 
but Cap's agility saves him from death as the manfish roars down upon him. So we got a little Jack Kirby acrobatics here. Suddenly, Donna Maria joins the grizzly game. Somehow, she must do something to help this brave companion. So this is where we got the cover, right? Where she's got the stick and she's uh, the big club and she's hitting it. Don't stay out of this. Do what I tell you. Oh. Cap's being a little, uh... <laughs> Listen, dame. Hey, this is the patriarchy speaking. You hear? Yeah. <laughs> no, we escape or die together. Death never comes. It halts in its tracks and listens to a sound not made for human ears. And we see the manfish kind of turn. Hmm? His mood's changed. He seemed to be listening to something I, I, I can't hear. He's ignoring us. Perhaps there is a chance. Let's, let's hope so. This may be our lucky break. Look, he, he's returning to the river. I can't understand it, but I'm grateful that it happened. There's something familiar in all of this. Yes, he behaves like a, a guard dog who obeys an ultrasonic whistle. Say, you may have a point there. If I do make a point, that thing has a master, someone who has trained him to kill. Survive is the correct word, my dear. What? Cap and the girl turned to face the weirdest sight yet spawned by the jungle. Who or what are you? And there's Arnim Zola. There he is. As you two so cleverly surmised, I am the master, the master of all I create. When I call my subjects, must respond. Perhaps when we know each other better, you too shall answer to this. In his left hand, he holds up this red magenta device, very Kirby-esque looking. And it's Arnim Zola standing on a rock. And it's the classic Arnim Zola where he's got no head, but a little uh, computer box with a, with a lens. And then his face is on his stomach and on his torso. And it's uh, very, very Kirby-esque, you know, with uh, the purple uh, boots and arm um, uh, gloves and the, the loincloth and uh, orange all around him. And the, uh, it says, yesterday's fantasy, today's truth, tomorrow's terror. Next, Arnim Zola, bio-fanatic. All right, so this next one, uh, cover 209, uh, Captain America and the Falcon. And it's, it's Doughboy. Uh, so if you don't know Doughboy, um, well, it's not Doughboy. It's not, I take that back. It's Primus. So we have Primus on the cover. And uh, if you don't know what Primus looks like, it, picture a naked, bald, yellow, gold man. Right? That's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. Uh, and he's striking at Captain America. Uh, in the background behind him is Donna Maria. And then in the very back is Arnim Zola sitting in a uh, in a chair but uh but his uh costume is a little different this time yeah the colors are different uh it's probably because of the colorist i wouldn't say yeah it's jack Kirby's part well and i was gonna saying, say maybe this is his relaxing clothes like this is oh. his version of a smoking jacket mm. he's lounging loungewear I, I like that yes <laughs> <clears throat> 
this bathroom. All right. Um, and it says, he produced what Frankenstein would not dare. Meet Arnim Zola, the bio-fanatic. And he says, attack, Primus, attack! Written, edited, and drawn by Jack Kirby, inked by Frank Giacoa, and admired by Archie Goodwin. Uh, and I believe uh, Jim Novak is the letterer and George Rossos is the colorist. All right, so we have a splash page and we, we see basically the, uh, the arms and the top box of Arnim Zola as he's facing Cap and Donna Maria on the, uh, the side of the river where we left off the last issue. And the uh, little reading at the top says, it used to be a popular science fiction theme until modern technology made it fact. Life can be manufactured in a test tube today. And the science of genetic engineering is now expanding its horizons. The question is, where do we go from here? And how far? Cap finds a horrifying answer deep in the Central American jungle. He finds the title of the, the uh, issue is Arnim Zola, the bio fanatic. So I find that interesting, Bob. Let's take a little, I just want to take a little pause here. It's 1977. Yeah. And it is, um, I guess, genetic engineering is relatively new at this time. In the, yeah. Right. 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 And so, you know, like a lot of things in our culture, you know, people start to debate whether or not, um, you know, this is a good thing or this is a bad thing. And I think this was probably controversial at the time. Um, and so. Uh, I think as a good writer, you you take this and you run with it and you go with a, an extreme to see uh, where this goes. I don't know if this sheds any insight into what Jack Kirby's thoughts are on genetic, uh, you know, manipulation. You know, maybe he thinks it's a bad thing and, and it can run away from us if we're not careful. And this is him showing a story of, of it going mad and going crazy. Or maybe he's just taking a topic that's controversial at the time and deciding to have fun with it and sees an opportunity. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know either. I mean, uh, 77 ish, you know, a lot of things going on, but these things were still very nascent, right? Really just starting to get up to speed. Uh, and I think, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting that he sort of pulled that uh, from probably wasn't that, you know, deeply embedded in popular media yet, right? In public discourse, but uh, but he was smart enough to to recognize that this is a great hook for uh, for a story. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, so here we are, uh, and is Arnim Zola talking? Why, you're Captain America with a fine stroke of luck. Fate has brought you to me in the guise of a jungle offering. That's just bully, friend. But who or what are you? There's a box where his head should be, but he is not without a face. The next page. What began as a tropic misadventure has suddenly sprouted a fantastic spinoff. Rio de Muerte, and then parentheses, the river of death, has yielded its secret a man-like monster which lives in its depths, but exists only to serve the bizarre being in command of its destiny. And then we have this big splash page 
and um, the, actually it's a double page splash, I should say. And that now we're being introduced to Doughboy. Now, who's Doughboy? Well, if you listen to uh, the episode where we uh, covered um, uh, the Captain America in 280 something, 270, no, 275. We kept uh, 275 uh, to 278, I think. And it was, um, uh, we described what Doughboy looked like. But Bob, do you want to do you want to do the honors? Yeah. Well, you know, you, everybody's heard the story of, of going to the grocery store and getting one of those sort of tubes of Pillsbury biscuits, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and, and you take one of those home and you press your spoon into that little line, that seam, right? And as soon as you press your line into that seam, it pops open and all the biscuit sort of oozes out into this globular biscuit, biscuity thing. Mm-hmm. That's what Doughboy looks like. Cause that's basically what he is. He's a big lovable hunk of dough. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I, I would also maybe describe him uh, depending if he's just sitting somewhere. He looks like a, a very uh, happy Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. Well, that's true. Right. Yeah. With yeah. long spindly arms. Yeah, not the murderous intent. Yeah. Yes. So he's he's all of a sudden Doughboy's dropping from the sky behind Arnim Zola, and again this is a huge double page splash, um, and and Donna Maria is is <laughs> in her uh, oh no faint, uh, and she's got her left she's arm. She is. She's got her yeah. left arm above her head, uh, and uh, uh, her right. Uh, putting her ar- on her on Cap's arm, who's a um, little a uh, little intimate in front of uh, front of her, right? He's he's kind of got his right arm, kind of like you know, holding her back, almost like protecting her. And he's uh, and she says, "Look, he summons yet another monstrosity. It drifts down from the sky like some ugly balloon. I am frightened, frightened." Swoon. I understand, Donna Maria. This is no longer a mere case of good guys versus bad guys. But keep your cool. Keep your mind free for action. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to use that one at some point in the future. <laughs> keep your mind free for action. That's a quote. All right. Bravo, Captain. Well spoken. You are indeed the living image of the legend known by all. Still, there's no need to be wary of Doughboy. You shall discover that he's more of a miracle than a threat. Suddenly, the tendril-thin arms of Doughboy whip forward to reach for Donna Maria and Cap. Take them, Doughboy! No, no! Shades of Reed Richards, he's got competition in the stretching division. Run, Donna Maria! Before the girl can retreat, the doughy arms entrap her. It becomes a clammy, sticky ooze for which there is no escape. Captain America, help me. Help. It's got her, but it won't hold her. Cap rushes into action as Doughboy lashes out for him. Release the girl. Sorry, but that's impossible. A moment later, Cap himself is an unwilling captive. You see, we're all leaving this place right now. Up, Doughboy. Ugh, can't pry loose. Then Doughboy's master makes an unexpected move. 
he too adheres himself to this strange life form and allows himself to be drawn skyward with his prisoners. So basically, uh, Doughboy is this big, you know, fat ball of dough, and he's got Cap captured on one side of him and Donna Marie on the other. And Zemo's just kind of like, ah, I'm going to go ahead and sit in the middle here and go for a ride as they go up into the sky. It's quite the spectacle. He's taking us with him. Is there nothing we can do? Command him to free the girl. Do it, and I'll go with you as hostage. Listen to me. You're completely helpless, my dear. Further struggle may only encourage Doughboy to absorb you from sight. My advice is to enjoy this experience as best you can. All entreaties fail as the balloon-like creature rises to the edge of space. Then it begins to change its shape in order to enfold its passengers. What is he? it's doing? I, I don't understand. I'm not worried if Headless isn't. Have no fear. This procedure is for your protection only. Soon after, Cap and the girl find themselves in a fleshy hollow formed by the creature. We're inside this thing and still unharmed. There's air in here. It's also many degrees warmer than it is outside. Precisely, Captain. In effect, you're in an organic capsule. So now we cut back to uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. office. This incredible new development is Cap's career is actually one facet in the case now under investigation by the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm the director of this regional field office, Sharon. Nick Fury himself requested I check on your state of health. And there's Layla. She'd be on her feet in a second if you brought news about Cap, but I could see that you and your Sherlocks are still batting, batting zilch. Please, Layla, I... I... And she's laying in bed, resting from uh, her attack. Cap's missing, or haven't you heard? And so is anybody who goes off searching for him. I don't suppose you know where the Falcon is, do you? No, I don't. But I do know this. Wherever Cap and the Falcon are, the job is being done. The job this country demands of us all. Hooray for our side. Don't mind, Layla. Waiting is a rough game, too. It hasn't been easy for us. Of course not. Two missing superheroes can leave a large vacuum. S.H.I.E.L.D. needs them too, you know. In fact, we need them badly. Not as badly as we do. Nick Fury's machine is cold and efficient. It knows nothing about love between men and women. It knows nothing about the aches of fears of the human heart. That is Kirby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you, Bob. I was like, mm-hmm. Yep. I know about file 116. And so do you. Here, and he hands the file. Refresh your memory with these known facts. In short, you're joining the rest of us in cracking this case. But I, I'm no longer an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm not even on inactive duty. Well, you win it, mister. You win the Sweetheart of the Century Award. How could you? I know what I'm doing, sister. Sister? <laughs> All right. I'm putting an agent to work. S.H.I.E.L.D. needs every available hand on this job. Thanks for revisiting my status, sweetheart. But as Sharon studies the top secret file, she's gripped by a fear which surmounts all others. These photos, are these photos for real? 
Those are the things have killed some of our best men. Someone's playing Frankenstein with the world, honey. We've, honey, we've got to find that someone and take away his instruments. Are you on on the deal? If that's an order, I, I guess I'm in. Oh, no, no. I think we're about to lose another one. Sharon, you must be out of your mind. Do you know what you're doing? I, I'm doing what Cap would do. No matter how badly it hurts inside, and she gets out of bed. You heard Mr. Wonderful here. This job is a killer, and winding up dead is no way to win equality with men. It's work, Layla. It's better than trial of waiting. Speaking as an old male chauvinist, I find this young lady uncommonly sensible. I'll expect you at the office for your instructions. Hmm. You must have been part of the original Dirty Dozen during World War II. That kink of ice must have been the commanding officer. Tell him to blow blow away, honey. Tell him, I'm going to do what S.H.I.E.L.D. expects of me, but not before I have a new hairdo. <laughs> Send the bill to me. <laughs> oh, of course. Yes. Of course, that's what Sharon's going to do. She gets yeah. out of bed. She's going to need a new hairdo. Yeah. yeah. You know, before she goes to find those uh, man killers, yeah, she needs a, a new do. Mm. Meanwhile, high in the Earth's stratosphere, Doughboy has streamlined his form and streaks across the world. Now, here's something you don't normally see in a Captain America comic, right? You see these, um, a Kirby sky, you know? Mm -hmm. I think anybody who knows Kirby's art, and if I say a Kirby sky, probably is envisioning, you know, these astral planes with a bunch of bubbles and dots and spheres and colors. Uh, we don't typically see that in a cap comic. Yeah. You are traveling inside an amazing animal, Captain America, one that can achieve supersonic speeds. Doughboy moves about like the squid or octopus with natural air jets. Only my pet is much faster. He could apparently harden his hide, too. These walls look pretty solid. Very observant, my dear fellow. If you were to see Doughboy from the outside right now, he'd seem very similar to a flying saucer. I wouldn't mind a look outside, if only to protect my sanity. I'm certain that Doughboy will oblige. All he needs is a bit of prodding with this, and he pulls up that magenta-colored device, before, as I mentioned before. And it zaps the wall. The wall that's growing thinner where that beam strikes. The spot is now completely transparent. It's like a window. We can see the land rush by below us. Yes, you're flying over hill and dale, happily adjusting to a marvel which only a chosen few have been fortunate to see. There have been others like us? Yes. Tell us more about the others. What happened to them? What did you do to them? At this point, uh, Zemo's sitting in a chair, all comfy, and it's a chair made out of dough. Well, that's a part of a very long but very interesting tale. I'd suggest a seat for each of you, like this one. Doughboy will grow them for you. It's not difficult at all. I merely relay the thought to him through this box on my upper structure. There, you see. What? The floor is rising. It's the creature's own substance has formed supports for our bodies. Extremely well put, my girl. My, but 
I'm enjoying this company immensely. Please relax, sit back. Now, where does one begin? Don't toy with us. Who are you? What do you intend to do with us? Come now, come now. Can you expect all that you've seen to be summed up in a few concise words? Somehow, I have the strange feeling that I know what this is all about. Let him speak. Indeed. I I didn't realize that my work was so widely acknowledged. However, if you'll permit me, I should like to proceed. Nick Fury will never believe this, but I found the source of file 116. Oh, do go on. Before I became what you now see before you, I was quite an ordinary little man, a rather modest and withdrawn little man. I spent my days in the stone tower of a castle, built by my ancestors centuries ago. It still stands in the mountains of Switzerland. My name was Arnim Zola. My world was the laboratory, the world of biochemistry. From my window I could see the flames of war turn the skies red over Germany. But what other men did concerned me little. In this lab that he's in, uh, he's got the the Kirby cackle, Kirby crackle, I should say. So this lab that he's in has a, you know, has that glow of the Kirby crackle going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the devices, cylinders, and a library. For I owned what all humanity thirsted for, the secret of life, hidden beneath the stone floor in a cast iron box. And he pulls out this uh, iron box that's got a lock on it. Time and again, I would pour through my age-old papers it contained. They were brought back from the Near East during the Crusades, and I decoded the ancient notes long before the discovery of DNA. I suppose I became the first genetic engineer in modern times. I devised experiments to produce man-made life. And you can see in the lab him experimenting and, again, the Kirby cackle, crackle. And then in a microscope uh, view looking in, guided by the ancient notes, I soon succeeded. In a small way, of course, my product was a tiny thing, but it was alive. It lived and thrived. And then uh, we see a shadow of a larger creature and being shot. Experience enabled me to grow larger forms. Some were destructive, and I got out of hand. But for my own safety, I had to destroy them. And then there's a, looks like a uh, more of a man-looking type figure in a glass I don't know. It's a tank of some sort, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah like you kind of you see like a magician go into, right? With careful deliberation, I structured a new body for myself, a stronger body, which housed its brain in a more protected position. And then he, you see him underneath uh, on a table, um, uh, underneath a, a big cylinder. It took a heroic effort to construct an instrument that would transfer my own personality to the brain in that other body. But I did that too. One night, the old Arnim Zola died. The new one lived to continue his work. He was able to deal with whatever his experience produced. The new brain within his body was so potent that he could troll them by thought alone. This is horrible. Can he do that to us? Can he reach into our minds and force us to do his bidding? 
That's an interesting question, Zola. Can you control us as you do your creatures? No, it's a, it's a puzzle that I haven't yet to solve. My brainwaves are powerful indeed. They emerge from within my body and are sent out as a mighty signals from this transmitter, but, but they can't affect life produced by nature, is that it? Sure, that's it, all right. You've told us the truth, and it's the truth that keeps men free, isn't it, Zola? Not so fast, my friend. Your freedom is now my personal property. Arrogant swine, crush his transmitter before you can summon more of his deviltry. Good thinking, girl. What? It, it sank out of sight. So you want to reach for the box on top of Zola's, where his head would be, but it went back into the body. Fool! And he punches him, but uh, Cap puts his shield up. Think again, Zola. Hand-to-hand -hand combat is my business. I may not reach that brain of yours, but I can give that new body a good pounding. It's been thoroughly tested, Captain. Not by me, Big Mouth. And he hits him right in, a, in that face on, in, in the torso. Well, I declare you did manage to dislodge one of my face circuits, which is now, now missing. The face has vanished. Perhaps he can't see. That's fine with me. You can overpower him. Do it. Do it now. Wait, look. The wall behind Zola. It's coming alive. And sure enough, the wall of living tissue suddenly erupts with motion and unleashes its product squarely at Cap. And just like the cover of that, that gold, bald man, uh, he comes running at Cap. Since you insist on combat, you shall have it, Captain America. Having quickly repaired his electronic face, Zola watches the ensuing battle with glee. Attack, Primus! Attack! I can handle him too, Zola. Not likely, friend. Not while Primus can harden his body like stone. A cap punches uh, Primus, but um, probably hurts his hand more than Primus. At that very moment, somewhere in the rugged batlands of South America, the Falcon has made a bizarre discovery of his own. Those great logs couldn't have gotten to these barren heights by themselves. It seems too far out to consider, yet when seen from the air, one can only conclude that this thing is a king-sized bird's nest, an avian home for a species that flies. But what manner of bird uses the trunks of great trees to construct its nesting place? And he's standing in the middle of, of the nest. No canary ever bit put this together. I think I've stumbled in Nick Fury's favorite nightmare, file 116. Falcon, you've been hung up on the horns of a dilemma. If you stay to see this through, then you must delay your search for Cap. The choice is quickly made for the Falcon. A mammoth shadow darkens the sky. The beat of giant wings creates a storm in the still air. Uh-oh, the owner of this tract, home for Titans, has returned. The giant shadow vanishes with sudden swiftness. An intruder in the nest is not a welcome sight, even to a giant. It seems to be shy of strangers. I'll have to give chase. For so large an object, the falcon's quarry proves highly elusive. But the falcon is a hunter of shadows. The silhouette of a huge wingtips on the cliff wall does not escape his eye. You won't shake me, mister. I'm going to stick to your tail until I get a good look at you. And the... Uh, the avian creature is at the top of uh, this mountain. The falcon's flying up. 
The Falcon zeroes in on his target and hurdles forward. The game's over, cutie pie. I'm making my play. The air is suddenly filled with flying boulders, a deadly avalanche aimed directly at the Falcon. Jumping catfish. I can't change course. There's no way out of this. Meanwhile, across the globe, Cap is also a victim of superior odds. He strikes in vain an opponent with undentable hide. Ha ha! You'll soon tire of this, Captain. Primus cannot be defeated. Blast him. He's as tough as a Sherman tank. Then the inevitable happens. Now, Primus, now! And Primus hits Cap. Knocks him down. Fine work, Primus. You've proven yourself once again. This fabled superhero has no match for one of the inheritors of man's domain. She pleases me, great Zola. I claim her as my own. No, let me go. What happened to the world if all the good guys lose? Don't miss Showdown Day. Oh, you know, Primus has got his eye on Donna Maria. Are you jealous? Uh, I I think I could take him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's got Primus. You know, nothing gets between, you know. You don't let a lady get between you and your master. So this is going to be a problem, I suspect. All right, so this is the last issue we'll cover in this this episode. So it's issue 210 of Captain America and the Falcon. And uh, on the cover, this cover always creeped me out. So we have faces. Yeah. It's five faces. So we have Cap at 12 o'clock. We have Sharon Carter at 2 o'clock. We have Sam Wilson at 4 o'clock. And we have Donna Marie... Maria, we have Donna Maria at eight o'clock. Nope. And we have Donna Maria at 10 o'clock. And in the center is the Red Skull. Now, this is why it creeps me out. Not because it's the Red Skull. I mean, he is creepy looking. Mm -hmm. But it's like he's an octopus, like like a hydra. You know, like all these tentacles are coming out of his face, his head, his side, uh, and they're wrapping around all the other faces. And he's got this kind of creepy kind of mouth open, maniacal, like laughter going on. Yeah, it's a weird cover, Rick. There's no doubt about it. I mean, there's, uh, I don't know if uh, Kirby was going for some symbolism here, you know, I think the Hydra tentacles are, are uh, it's an interesting read on it. Uh, he's got a little bit of uh, doughboy going on in the in the sort of the tentacles as well. Uh, I don't know if this is a literal or a figurative sort of image. I don't know, man. But it's you're right, spooky. it's creepy. Yeah. yeah. Cap and Falcon open file 116 and find the most sinister secret of all, the Red Skull. Edited, written, and drawn by Jack Kirby, inked and lettered by Mike Royer. Oh, interesting. Mike Royer both inked and lettered it. Uh, colors are by George Rossos. And then uh, unfettered by Archie Goodwin. <laughs> I, I like that. that. That's funny. That's funny. Before he was just admiring it. Now he's like, I didn't do anything to mess it up. Right. It's unfettered. 
In Shield's bag of most urgent cases, File 116 heads the list. Forests and rivers throughout the globe are yielding strange monstrosities, and top field agents are dying in their capture. Someone is playing Frankenstein with the world. His name is Arnim Zola, manipulator of life and owner of a new source of raw material for his experiments, Captain America. Read on. It's showdown day. That's the name of this issue. And uh, we have a big opening splash where Cap is fighting Primus. And uh, we have a horrified Donna Maria in the background. Get away from that girl now. I'm not out for the count yet. Oh, that inhuman brute tried to claim me for his own. I'll break you in two for this. This is futile. When you tire of these tricks, death will come quickly. We'll see about that, mister. I'm an old hand at cheating death. It seems impossible to bring him down, but you must try. You must try. It's a battle in the strangest of places, at the command of the strangest of beings, for stakes of unguessable consequences. You, you were the cause of all this. Stop that freak you created. Yours is a typically human bias, my dear. His origin may differ from yours, but of all my products, Primus looks most human. However, he bows only to the call of this. Once again, in his right hand, he's holding up that magenta piece of equipment. Fiend, master freak. Well, those are harsh words. Yeah, she's going to regret those words, I bet. Don't interfere, Donna Maria. You'll get hurt. And so she starts to reach for the uh, the control device. No, I must help. If if I can just take this from him. Sorry, I can't permit that. It must never leave my person. Foreshadowing. It is with this instrument that I prod my biological wonders into action. Doughboy will deal with you and your companion. And he zaps uh, the floor. And she falls. Waves of flashing energy whip along the floor, stinging fiber and substance, and carrying within each bolt the mental command of the strange being who calls himself Arnim Zola. The floor responds. It is organic. It is part of a living animal, a product of Zola's genius in the field of genetics, and it starts to wrap around Anna Maria. No, no! An undulating sea of floor fibers rises to engulf the objects of its attack, and it wraps all around her scantily clad body. It's too strong. I can't free myself. Keep fighting, Donna Maria. I'll try to get to you. But struggle is useless. The captives are overcome. This thing's alive. We're completely at its mercy. We're alive, too, and we can still wait for the chance to fight again. Oh, ever the optimist, that cap. There was no need for this. I could have easily subdued him. Was I not bred for this kind of task? You've proven untalented and inefficient, Primus. Perhaps you will do better another day. I am not like Doughboy and the others. I am like the man and this female. Nonsense. Can they make their tissue as transparent as glass so they could be used as a window? You can do that, Primus. 
even as Doughboy gave us this vision slot and changed his shape to adapt to supersonic travel. He is no different than you are. That's a lie. Doughboy is a gross and ugly animal. See now? See him revert back to his original form? Can you could truly compare me to this mindless, massive airbag? I am different, I tell you. We'll dispute that point at some other time. Doughboy is slowing down. The castle is in sight. Moments later, the bulbous shadow of Doughboy hovers above an ancient medieval courtyard. Then, gently and effortlessly, the living air vessel drifts down until it touches the flagstones of the castle's Zola, ancestral home and laboratory of a modern Dr. Frankenstein. And then Doughboy opens up and Zola starts to walk out, looking at his castle. Arnim Zola issues a telepathic command through the transmitter perched upon his shoulders. The organic walls of Doughboy part, an opening is created. Thank you, Doughboy. It's good to be home. A living ramp uncoils from the wondrous organism. Its master descends to the courtyard in triumphant return. Was that ever such a gratifying creature, eh, Primus? Is there nothing he cannot do to facilitate the comfort of those who command him? He cannot grant me the female. Only you can do that. Have a care, Primus, lest you vex me. My plans for the girl and Captain America do not concern you. Why can't you be like Doughboy? He obeys my every wish. He obeys when you prod him with that infernal tool. Have you ever given thought to his own desires? Zola treats the question with silence. His eyes are on his prisoners as they are thrust into the open and Doughboy's grip. Don't panic, Donna Maria. We'll get out of this yet. But how can we cope with such creatures? They aren't even human. Put them in chamber four. High on a castle wall, a metal shutter swings inward to receive the new occupants. It is kind of creepy. It's like uh, they're being shoved through a, a window, which ends up being a like a guarded door. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like slots in the wall up high, you know. Almost like um, they're lab animals or something. Yeah, yeah. Once inside the chamber, the captives are quickly released and hurled to the floor. Cap turns around to try to get out. Clank. Blast. The shutter closed before I get to it. We're trapped. What does that demon Zola intend to do with us? There's no telling what may happen next. Ugh. Can't budge the shutter. It resists my every effort. This is not ordinary metal. It feels almost warm, pliant, alive. Donna Maria, this shutter is organic. That's horrible. Horrible. How far has that monster gone with his experiments? Hold me. Hold me close. This madness loses its terror when you're near me. And she grabs him and puts her arms around him. Yeah, well... I understand, Donna Maria, but we we do well to just concentrate on escape. Awkward. And a cold shower. <laughs> there is little comfort in the touch of friendly arms. 
the might of Captain America has been severely challenged by this bizarre situation. Muscle and combat experience have proven ineffective. In this sinister environment of rogue biology, each corner of the chamber is a living menace. And when the shadows begin to move, they both look terrified. I I see something, but I can't tell what it is. The light is so dim, yet I know it is there. It moves in some strange manner, in halting steps, like a man learning to walk. We'll soon find out what that thing is. Stand back. It's moving towards us. But Arnim Zola has a long shadow. It also falls upon the falcon, thousands of miles away. And so he is flying. Remember those boulders coming down? He's now flying through them. Or around them, I should say. I must take shelter or risk a pounding of this avalanche of loosened boulders. Unaware of Cap's whereabouts, his search has led him into a strange encounter in a wild area of one of North America's greatest forests. There's something on the crest of this cliff, something big. It's playing coy, too, like tearing off the top of this cliff and tossing the mess at me. It doesn't like curiosity seekers, that's for sure. Got to get a closer look at that thing. It was too far off on that first try, but the shape of it was enough to shake a dude. The rain of rocks seemed to have passed. It's time for another try, and the best approach is the direct approach. Here comes company, Birdman. The falcon streaks skyward. He's in a winged missile, flashing towards the crowns to the cliff. Whatever it is that lurks on the lofty crag waits and listens in ominous silence. Born and bred with other life forms in Aramzola's laboratory, he has been given a natural environment in which to thrive. Yet it is a stranger to this world with a fearsome potential for mass destruction. When the falcon shoots into sight, he comes face to face with one of the secret horrors in Shields File 116. The falcon says, Oh, Lord. And it is. It's like a huge, oh, gosh. almost Man like, bird. It, it's a man bird, but it's almost like a, what do you call those, um, that ancient, ancient, uh, Griffith. Griffith, yeah. yeah. Uh, sort of like a Griffith. It's got claws and talons uh, and a beak, but it's furry. Uh, yeah, it's, and it's all white. Yeah, it's got a mouth, mm. but it's got a beak nose. It's weird. Yeah. Meanwhile, in a regional office of S.H.I.E.L.D., the web of File 116 has also invaded a more intimate sector of Captain America's life. Ready for work, Sharon? I like your new hairdo. (laughs) And she has a perm. That takes care of the sweet talk. Now give me the hard facts. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) I'm not going there. She doesn't want the sweet talk anymore. She wants the hard facts, Bob. Yep, yep. Things are getting rougher each day. S.H.I.E.L.D. found another monster just this morning and lost two good agents in the capture. At this rate, we could blow the whole ball game. Jack's having a little fun, I think. But, you know, good for him. Good for him. Mm. Keep it real. Then our objective is to find the coach of the other team. Not easy. Our computers say he's a loner. 
a biochemist and probably a pioneer of the new science of genetic engineering. But surely someone must know him. Men in the same field? We've run through the list of bigs and littles without success. They've given us dry leads. You may be our last chance to run this mad genius down. And he puts his hands on both her shoulders. Then I take it you have a final lead for me to work on? Yes. We feel that our pigeon may need outside financing for his Frankenstein factory. It's our one hope, and it may rest on one man. You'll find our notes in this. He hands her uh, a file. Does this include his identity? No. You'll need to, you'll, no. You'll be giving his name and showing his photo when you're airborne. I must fly then, mustn't I? And she leaves the office. And she gets into this really whacked out helicopter, uh, like kind of a bubble helicopter. It's kind of weird looking. Um, I guess he's going, Jack's going for a, uh, you know, a shield version of a, some sort of spaceship slash helicopter. And then she's got this weird helmet on. It's kind of like a, it's a matching. It looks like a, it looks like it looks like an old football helmet. Exactly from like what I leather thirties, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Soon after, Sharon's jet copter leaves its skyscraper pad and takes to the air. This is Scramble One. I'm ready for my briefing. Very well, Scramble One. Set your craft on course as listed and put it in remote control. Done, Chief. Now. Who's the man? Where's the man? And why do I talk to this man? She puts her arms behind her head uh, as to demonstrate the fact she's not flying the craft. His name is Cyrus Fenton. He's known to be eccentric, cantankerous, and obsessed with the desire for anonymity. However, his fortune is considerable. His investments are diverse and worldwide. He sounds like the movie version of the rich recluse chief but that doesn't make him special true but this bird is attracted by gimmicky ventures far out notions and scientific fields this is a photo of your man study it carefully and remember treat him with caution and respect and it's a picture of a kind of a a balding man uh, with white on the side that's going up uh, white bushy eyebrows and a big white beard He does look cantankerous. He looks like a perfect deer. He isn't. Treat him with the respect and caution given to a loaded pistol. This may be a long shot, but Cyrus Fenton could be the money tree from which the monsters grow. Once more in the courtyard of his ancestors, Artem Zola looks forward to greater efforts. Our new subjects are tucked away, Primus. I shall remake them into works of genetic art. You shall not change the female. She's mine. I tell you mine. And he goes to punch him. Before Primus can strike, Zola turns and faces him. Rash creature, did you think to surprise one who can sense your every move? I'll, I'll, you'll do nothing, Primus. Despite the powers I gave you, that brain of yours is a slave to this. The carrier of my thoughts, my will, and that magenta device is now zapping him and he's on his knees. Oh, you can't control me. I'm powerful. I can resist it. Impossible. 
Unlike ordinary humans, the lice forms I produce are forever vulnerable to my mental commands. Now go back, Primus. Go back. I'll destroy you when the chance arises. I shall destroy you. You're forcing me to merge with Doughboy. I won't. I will no longer be myself. Alas, that's true. You two are separable parts of a single substance. Thus, you can also be reunited. You're like a tire that belongs to a car. Even as Primus protests, the merging process begins. You lie. I am Primus. I am a man. I am human. Fool, you are merely restructured tissue, a spare part in the form of a man, and a thorn in my side. In a matter of moments, Primus has all but vanished as an individual. And all we see is his face and his fingers. I'll come out again, and when I do, you'll come out when I need you. And that may be never. When it's over, only Doughboy remains. The huge, rubbery face smiles contentedly. He is docile, yet responsive. The perfect servant. No human will ever give you a prize for beauty, Doughboy. But to Arnim Zola, you are a success personified. And he fires uh, the, the gizmo at him. Within you is the code for producing what I want, when I want it. You're the ultimate vehicle. Prodding brings immediate response from Doughboy's own substance two life forms spring into existence. As Primus was needed to contend with Captain America, these two perform a simpler function. They will prowl the castle area without tiring, without sleep. You can detect and collar any intruder within a radius of 20 miles. No security system ever devised can compete with them. And uh, Bob, I'm going to let you do the honors of describing what they look like. Yeah. Well, one of them uh, is a giant set of ears, giant pair of ears with a big eyeball that's sort of connecting them and, uh, and two big old legs to get them around. So apparently those are the eyes and the ears of the operation. And the other guy. <laughs> like that. I yeah. like that. Now, the other guy, I, I, it's hard to describe him, right? He's got, he's got sort of a reptilian armored body, but he kind of walks on his arms with a big beefy head with his uh, sort of amphibian legs up in the air. So, uh, you know, just a strange, strange creature. Yeah, from the mind of Jack Kirby, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Crazy. Okay. Um, we get back to Arnim Zola. Biological technology is the answer to all the cumbersome, noisy, dirty, and faulty machines of modern man. With the genetic engineering, I shall point the way to new directions. But I must not forget my benefactor. Without his help, I would struggle for funds. Another prod to Doughboy produces an additional object interview. Thank you for the telesight. It is time to contact my benefactor once again. With Doughboy as an energy source, the telesight builds up power. It will absorb thought waves and convert them into visual and audio images. No wires, no tubes, no massive broadcast facilities to contend with. And yet, I can stand here and converse with anyone on this planet. Was there ever such a wonder? Contact is established with unerring accuracy. 
Zola, it's you. What is it this time? A progress report? More money? Good news. My last inspection tour brought us a bit of luck. I uh, managed to pick up two subjects in my travels who make excellent specimens for our big project. And then it's revealed. It's the Red Skull. Of course, we knew that from the cover. What? And he's sitting there in some uh, fancy chair uh, with a, a green jumpsuit and, uh, I don't know, not a smoking jacket, but another coat over top of it and white gloves. Pick them up, did you? Ha <laughs> Our association has transformed you into a ruthless dreamer. I've learned that the end justifies the means, benefactor. Yes, and might makes right and all that hogwash. Get on with it. What else? What makes these subjects so exceptional? Well, one of them is actually a superhero. He's known as Captain America. And this gets the Red Skull's attention. He sits up. I don't believe it. You've got Captain America? Both he and his female companion are in my custody at this moment. And at that time, uh, one of Red Skull's screens beeps. Blast that monitor. It would sound off right now. Excuse me, Zola. The Red Skull activates the security device. A jet captor. It's landing on my grounds. I suspect that I've got a visitor from S.H.I.E.L.D. of all the inappropriate times to answer questions. And of course, it's Sharon's copter. Break contact, Zola. We'll talk tomorrow. This development shall end in triumph for both of us. Tomorrow, then, we have much to discuss. Farewell. As Zola's prisoner, Captain America is literally in my hands. Fate has chosen in my favor. Yes, it is a showdown day. Old scores, hotly fought, must seek a final end. It is karma, kismet, destiny. And he reaches into a, a drawer to pull out a mask and he starts to pull it over to his head. How fleeting are the years, how immovable is the hatred. Enemies, like friends, become inevitably inseparable. Only death can part them. Death in the form of artful vengeance. Yes, it's an inspirational thought. Captain America shall die a living death. But first to business of another nature. A fool's play, convincingly rendered by the Red Skull. And he comes out of a doorway with a cane. Meanwhile, the door outside. The old boy hasn't set his dogs on me. Perhaps he isn't as cantankerous as he's painted. Ding dong. Yes, yes, what is it? And he opens the door. Mr. Cyrus Fenton? I'm an Uncle Sam person. And there's the picture of Fenton. The Red Skull knows full well that the eyes are the windows of the soul. But with the practiced skill of a master fiend, he hides the horror beneath the layers of a false personality. Hmm. Uncle Sam person indeed. Come in, young lady. State your business and then kindly leave. Time is money, you know. Now that's the sound more like the big heart of agents know and love. Very well, sir. If you lead, I shall follow. 
But who the Red Skull would think of it? Who but Armzola could create it? Watch for Nazi X in the next issue. Boom. All right, Bob. And that is the end of the introduction of Arnim Zola and Doughboy and Primus. Indeed. And, and yeah, right. Now, there's two more issues um, that this continues, the story continues, but it really gets more into a Red Skull. It really gets more into like a Red Skull story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's like um, 211 and 212. Yeah. Um, and I highly uh, advise everybody to uh, pick up the story and read that because I'm done. My voice is my voice is done. <laughs> I do love the I, I do like the next issue only because uh, well for a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons is it talks about uh, Nazi X, uh, which is uh, you know the, uh, not to give too much away for anybody who wants to read it, but uh, there's that whole series of hate mongers that uh, first appeared in I think Fantastic Four it was in mm-hmm. Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, been in Captain America, mm-hmm. uh, and and. Uh, and Nazi X is is Hitler's brain that's mm. been preserved by Arnim Zola for all these years, and uh, he wants to transplant that brain into Captain America's body uh, from the sort of robotic host that it's in right now. So it's it's a, it's an interesting story, um, but it is connected to the hate monger sort of mythos as well. So it's it's kind of cool to read. Does he get out? Does he win? Captain America? Well, I don't want to reveal that. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I'm All no right. spoiler. Oh, okay. All <laughs> right. Well, listen, um, if you if you enjoyed uh, learning about Zola and Primus and Doughboy, their story continues um, later, later, later on. Um, J.M. DeMatteis brings them back uh, in uh, a story. Um, in, in So we cover that in episode 32. Uh, so I know this is episode 36. So yeah, go back to 32 and you can read where that story continues. That was a lot of fun revisiting, uh, revisiting that. Yeah. And it's all, I mean, it also shows, uh, you know, really the very beginnings, this series, the very beginnings of, of Zola's relationship with the Red Skull. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of cool because, uh, you know, Red Skull has, he has partnerships along the way with different uh, villains. Uh, mm-hmm. But him and, and Zola, you know, they, they've been working together for a long time. Uh, I think. Go ahead. I, I, I think Red Skull, when it comes to. Like he, he he's fast to kill people. Yeah. Right. But he right. isn't on when it comes to Zola because he can't replace Zola. Right. There's not another Zola. There's not another one who's going to be there and be create what he needs. And have you know uh this evil scientist you know scrupulous like he doesn't care you know um so uh it's a great symbiotic uh relationship between the two of them they both get something out of it and uh, that they can't get anywhere else yeah it's true all right uh so let's uh end this uh but we want to tell everybody what we're going to cover in next uh podcast which is episode 30 Seven? Eight. Are we up to 38? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Next episode is 38. You're right. Um, <clears throat> well, we were actually, uh, to, for our listeners, we were actually like, what do we go to next, right? I mean, we we were just in the uh, 60s 
with uh, Tales of Suspense, 58. Um, this was 1977. Uh, let's, let's go to the 80s. Let's go to the 80s. And Bob uh, noticed uh, right behind me, uh, I have a poster, and it's an awesome poster of Mike Zach. And you know what it is? It's the Captain America Annual 8. Now, some of you may go, I don't know what that is. But many of you are like, yes, yes, that is the uh, awesome annual of Wolverine coming down with his claws on top of Captain America's shield and sparks flying. So it's uh, it's a one shot uh, annual um, written by uh, Mark Grunewald uh, and penciled by Zach, inked by Beatty. Um, Also, Joe Rubenstein did some inking in that in that one as well. Um, so we're, uh, we're, we're going to go ahead and do annual number eight with, uh, our next episode. Yeah. Fan favorite, fan favorite, Rick. Yeah. 1986. All right. Well, as always, Bob, it's been fun wrapping cap with you. Indeed, indeed, indeed. All right. Well, uh, I'm Rick Verbanis. He's Bob Lucius. And you've been listening to another episode of the Captain America comic book fans podcast. Thank you.